Welcome to Health Now from WebMD. I'm your host, Carrie Gann, and in this episode, we're going to focus on grief. It used to be that it was something you didn't talk about, but today, people are more open. There are books, podcasts, and viral social media posts about the topic. It's something that most of us will experience at some point in life, but our understanding of it is still evolving. It's been 50 years since psychiatrist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross outlined the five stages of grief, and maybe you're familiar with these. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. But today, researchers are describing what many people who've lived with grief have already discovered. It's usually not quite that simple. It can affect you in surprising ways, and for many, it's not a process with a beginning, middle, and end. Some people say they live with grief every day, even if what they're mourning happened years ago. In a new special report, WebMD examines this new way of thinking about grief. Part of the report is a survey, which asked more than 1,000 Americans about how they grieved after different life events. The results show how truly diverse the grieving process is. Though most of us associate grief with the death of someone close to us, almost one-third of respondents were grieving after the diagnosis of a serious illness, whether it was their own or a family member's. More than 30% were grieving after a divorce or the loss of a friendship or relationship. We're going to talk about some of these different sources of grief today and some of the surprising ways that grief can affect you. And if you want to learn more about the topic, you should check out WebMD's special report. It's called Grief Beyond the Five Stages. We'll include a link in our show notes. When you're going through grief, you feel the emotional impact, of course, but the effects can extend even further to affect your body. What are the biggest physical risks when you're grieving? How do they happen? And most importantly, what can you do to lower those risks? We're talking about it today with Dr. Michael Smith, WebMD's chief medical editor. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Smith. Hi there. As a doctor, if you had a patient who told you they were in deep grief, that something had happened and they were in that process, what would be your top concerns for their physical health? You know, first, you can't separate mental and emotional health from physical health. They're just too closely intertwined. You know, something that disrupts our emotional health will inevitably, for many, also mess with our physical health. You know, my first concern would be an increase in inflammation that comes with grief, which is linked to a host of other potential health issues. You know, it can take a toll on our immune system, leading to an increased risk of infection. We even see an increase in blood clots, blood pressure as well when people are grieving. And people just feel more pain. And I don't mean just emotional pain, but actually physical pain as well. That's so interesting that it's a symptom that just kind of arises from, from your emotions, basically. That's right. And we've seen that uh, you know, painkillers, even narcotic painkillers, actually can help relieve emotional pain. And that's why, because the two are just so closely linked. And you mentioned inflammation. Would that be because of stress hormones or some other trigger in the body that hap- you know, that's, that's brought about by grief? The interesting thing about the cascade of events that happens with grief is we know there are stress hormones involved, adrenaline, but we don't exactly understand how all of that leads to the the physical ailments that we commonly see. Hmm, That's interesting. And I think people listening may have heard about broken heart syndrome. That's something that you hear about a lot in the news. Um, But what exactly is that? Well, it's a fairly recently identified phenomenon, but absolutely a real one. It's also called stress cardiomyopathy or Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. It's somewhat common. It actually accounts for about 2% of all heart attacks, even more common in women. 
Now, thankfully, most recover quickly and don't have any long-lasting effects, but some may have potentially serious complications like even heart failure. We don't understand actually what causes it. There are no blocked arteries like with traditional heart attacks. Perhaps it might be the, that surge of stress hormones we were just talking about, like adrenaline, that may temporarily damage the heart. What about other effects of grief that are not life-threatening but may still be a problem? You know, I certainly don't want people to think that grief commonly leads to serious illness. Thankfully, it doesn't. It's obviously an unfortunate reality of what we have to go through and sometimes can be a lengthy process, but the norm is to recover and for there to be no long-lasting physical effects. But concerns that wouldn't be life-threatening would be that increase in infections from our immune system taking a hit, the increase in blood pressure, which not ideal, but certainly not immediately life-threatening, and commonly trouble sleeping, which will obviously you know, keep us from being our best. Right. Affect your other things like appetite and Absolutely. physical activity, yep. things like that. What are things to watch for if you or someone close to you is grieving, and when should you call a doctor? Well, there's a difference between normal grief and pathological grief. Depression is not a normal part of grief. You know, sad thoughts and feelings that you know typically come in waves and go away, that's normal. That's normal grief. But it's the persistent feelings of sadness and, and agony that are of concern and make us worry about major depression, the, the medical condition. And that obviously needs a doctor's attention. Someone who is not themselves struggling with guilt or worthlessness, not enjoying things they like to do. You know, if that happens, help someone get help before things worsen into something possible like suicidal thoughts or, or behaviors. Is there something about the emotions that are triggering something in the body, or is it just that we're not feeling up to taking good care of ourselves? It's actually both. Okay. You now, the strong emotions absolutely cause physical changes, potentially leading to the, the health issues that we've been talking about. But it's a real physiological change in the body leading to a, the, a cascade of events, like we referenced, that actually lead to these physical ailments. But of course, there's another layer there in that when we feel bad physically and mentally, we're just less likely to take good care of ourselves. It makes it harder to make healthy nutritional choices, mm -hmm. less likely to exercise. We're not sleeping well, which, I mean, we can really impact everything. Right. So there's no doubt that grief has a significant impact on us physically for a multitude of reasons. Is there a typical length of time that someone might grieve or... Is there a line when grief becomes that complicated grief that's where you're just kind of grieving for years? And, and does that have its own physical impact? Mm -hmm. Well, you raise an excellent point because there is no quote-unquote normal time for grief. You know, actually, as part of a WebMD special report we did, we actually looked at that topic of the, the length of time of grief. And nearly half of people in the survey said their most powerful feelings subsided within about six months. Two-thirds recovered in a year. So certainly anything that goes past a year or, or especially years, that's not normal grieving. A complicated grieving doesn't get better naturally. That's when someone is having persistent trouble coping with the loss. I mean, they may even actually ignore the grief, deny that it ever happened. Obviously not a healthy response. And 
they need help to avoid those potential long-term complications like possible suicide. I would imagine if you're living with that for years and years instead of, you know, six months, um, it would physically impact you in a, in a pretty big way. Absolutely. Are the physical effects different if your loss was sudden or is grief just grief as far as your body is concerned? There actually is some evidence. We've looked at this in the medical research that sudden loss can lead to prolonged physical stress and more commonly does. Of course, it's ultimately going to differ from person to person. But yes, a sudden loss does appear to more likely lead to the physical effects that we've been talking about. And what are things you can do that help keep up your physical health during a time of grief? And how do you make yourself actually do those things when you may not be really feeling up to doing much of anything? Well, time is your friend here. You know, give yourself time. You know, how much time that's going to depend on you, but you're not doing yourself or anyone any good if you're neglecting your own health. So let's talk about what you actually can do. And, you know, as I mentioned, the physical and mental health are so closely connected. And there are things that we can do that actually will help both. Exercising, We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Mm-hmm. Spending time outside, hmm. enjoying nature, you know, enjoying things that you like to do even in small increments. Of course, there's the question, how do you actually make yourself exercise when you're feeling so bad physically and mentally? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm talking about five minutes, right? Don't stress yourself out thinking you have to hit the pavement for 30 minutes at a time because in reality, you're just not going to do it and you'll just add additional stress into your life. Strive to get enough sleep. We've been talking several times about sleep, so critically important and often very disrupted when we're grieving. But sleep will pretty much impacts everything. So really try to focus on creating a regular schedule of going to bed the same time every night and getting up at the same time every morning. Talk to others. You know, the social support, really important. You're not doing yourself any favors by being stoic and thinking you don't need others because you do. Right. Lean into other people. They want to help, Mm -hmm. but you need to help them understand how to help you. And you're not being a burden. You want, you know, reaching out is is good for everybody. Critically important. One of the best ways really uh, that they can help for those who know someone that is grieving, is just listen. Don't feel compelled to solve any problems. Mm -hmm. Really, just listen because we really all need that. I think I read somewhere where the the people who helped the most were the ones who just sort of showed up and sat with you or brought coffee, didn't ask you what you needed, just were there when you you needed someone. That's right. I mean, our natural inclination is we want to solve problems. For most of us. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that's not what someone needs. Right. Absolutely. Good ways to help somebody stay physically well when they're dealing with, with grief. Dr. Smith, thank you again. My pleasure. Grief isn't limited to something you feel when a loved one dies. It's common to have these feelings anytime you undergo a major life change, like getting diagnosed with a chronic health condition. Our next guest, Adina Batterman, is a clinical social worker and senior manager of inflammatory arthritis support and education programs at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York, which specializes in musculoskeletal conditions. She's on the front lines when it comes to working with people who've just received life-altering news about their health, and she's going to talk with us about what it feels like to get this kind of diagnosis and what help is out there when you do. Hi, Adina. Welcome to Health Now. Hi. First, 
Tell us a little bit about how the Hospital for Special Surgery works. So Hospital for Special Surgery is the premier orthopedic and rheumatology teaching hospital located in New York. We have a focus on orthopedics and rheumatology. We treat all types of rheumatic illness, arthritis, including osteoarthritis, inflammatory arthritis conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, spondyloarthritis, and others. And when you say those kinds of conditions, rheumatic diseases, what are some of the changes that someone might feel or that they might need to be prepared to face when they get a diagnosis like that? How will it, basically, how will it change their life? My area of expertise and my specialty is working with people with the rheumatoid arthritis, which is an inflammatory arthritis and an autoimmune illness, which involves profound fatigue, pain, joint pain, and is treated with high-profile medications. And many people have a lot of anxiety and difficulty with starting medications and tolerating medications. But being diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or any of these other inflammatory arthritis conditions is really a life-altering experience. And it has profound impact, a global impact on one's inner and outer world. I mentioned the chronic pain, fatigue, there can be mobility issues. All of these impact daily functions. There's also when one's diagnosed with a chronic illness, an altered sense of self, going from a well person to somebody living with a chronic illness. And there are changes because of all of all of these changes. There are changes in relationships and important and valued roles such as in work-life, family, social, valued activities. And for, for many people, there's a crisis. Who am I now if I can't be or participate in all of these roles and activities in the same way? And um, all of that, what with the added challenge of negotiating a very complex healthcare system, learning about and distilling complex medical information, and coping with the concerns and worries about treatment, medication, side effects, unpredictability of chronic illness. That's a lot. Right. Well, and I think it would surprise people who've never had a chronic illness like this that you would feel grief upon getting a diagnosis or being in the early days of the condition. Tell us a little bit about what people are feeling and why they might experience those feelings. What is it that you hear often from the people that you work with? When I first meet people who have been just diagnosed, there's really a range of feelings. We're talking about grief right now, but all of this is part of grief. So there's anger um, about very real losses and what this means to one's life in terms of changing and adapting and losing part of oneself. So that really is describing grief. There's sadness, there's fear. All of these feelings, sometimes one at a time, sometimes all together, and often very overwhelming, and it makes it very difficult to address the, the part about managing illness and learning about your illness and learning about treatment and learning how to take care of oneself and what that means physically and emotionally. So how does your job work? When in the diagnosis process do you meet with someone? I can meet with somebody just upon learning about their diagnosis. And at that stage, it's a lot about just kind of wrapping one's head around what does this mean 
And what does this mean in terms of treatment, in terms of daily life and managing? Will this be forever? How will this impact my ability to work? How will this impact my ability to fill the roles that I have in life, mothering, parenting, and friendship, all of these things? When I meet with somebody who's been referred to me or who finds me somehow over the internet or through a physician or another social worker or a nurse, we talk a lot about this. And I think a large part of my role is to understand what somebody is going through, what what in particular are their fears, what's going on for them, what are their strengths in being in, in their ability to cope with these issues. What kind of supports do they have? Do they have friends, family, partners that they can speak with and rely on? Or are they affiliated with some religious organization or spirituality that can help them through this as well? And so it's at first sort of an appraisal of what's going on for this person in the context of their whole life and not just their illness. And how can I, as a uh, clinical social worker, support them and what resources are available to help support them? And what are the things you suggest people do to address and manage their grief, both when they receive their diagnosis and when they're living sort of in the early days or as time goes on? And, And are those things different? I think that there are stages of understanding and processing and adapting to illness, but it's not a linear trajectory. So when one is diagnosed at first, I think it's important to acknowledge and explore and experience the feelings of sadness and grief and anger. It's a normal response to loss and change. Why wouldn't you be feeling all of this and validate that and understand that that's okay? I think not acknowledging and experiencing and exploring all of this complicates the process of one's ability to cope and manage and to adapt long term. So I I think we tend to see anger and sadness and these feelings as bad and try to push them away or not feel them or make an attempt to not feel them. But I think in the context of a full range of emotions, one of the tasks is not just in chronic illness, but in life, to learn how to experience and tolerate these feelings, whether that, so first to identify them, but also to learn how to express them, either it means talking with a friend, partner, family, or mental health professional, or within a support group. That's interesting what you said about learning to experience the emotions. I feel like there's often you know, people in your life, or, you know, if someone is grieving, it's a common response for others to tell them, why don't you try to move on or move past this, find closure, but that may not be possible. And you're saying it's it's not necessarily helpful to sort of try to push the grief away rather to experience it. Yeah, I think it's a normal response to loss. And in order to move through that and to process it, it's necessary to first experience it. There's the struggle of tolerating those feelings within yourself. And then there's also the people around you who have difficulty tolerating watching you experience that. And that's difficult. And I think a lot of that has to do with psychoeducation and learning about grief and learning about connecting with mental health professional or social worker or nurse to understand this is a normal part of being diagnosed with a chronic illness. learning to manage and live with a chronic illness. And so part of that also has to do with helping the people around you or the people who are closest to you, at least, to understand that as well and to learn about that. Are people ever surprised that they feel grief for basically the health or the life that they will no longer have? Surprise? No. But I think wanting to get over this part 
yes, and push away those feelings. By the time I meet them, they're already seeking support. So they're acknowledging that there is some profound loss and feelings that they would like to explore and work through, even if they don't know what those feelings are. Maybe they're feeling angry, but they're not aware of that, but they're realizing that their relationships are suffering or they're not able to be involved in activities or experience joy. So they're not necessarily surprised that they're feeling that way, but they don't want to feel that way anymore. Are there similarities between grief over a chronic illness versus grief that you might feel for another reason, like losing a loved one or the loss of a friendship or relationship? The grief that comes with chronic illness is very different from the grief of bereavement, although both are sort of types of bereavement. The grief of chronic illness is not a one-time event. It's not a time or or a point in time, and then you learn to adapt and, and work through a grief process. There is a grief process with chronic illness, but there's ebbs and flows of chronic illness. There's uncertainty in chronic illness, and it's learning more to tolerate uncertainty and reimagining your life and restructuring activities in life around that and adapting your life to that so that you can manage an illness, but also live a meaningful life. The similarities would be to, to acknowledge that this is a process and to allow that process and acknowledge it to seek support. It's very powerful to have connection with somebody who understands what it is you're going through and understand that you are not alone. So that empathic connection, I think, is very helpful and powerful in helping one move through this. And it's not linear. So I think for both types of grief, there shouldn't be an expectation that you move through discrete and distinct stages and then you're done because there's always, uh, there are ebbs and flows and time sometimes changes that. That's interesting because I think for so long, the approach to grief was, you know, those five stages that everyone is somewhat familiar with. But increasingly, I feel like people realize that that's not necessarily how it happens. No, and especially I think in chronic illness. Because you're you're multitasking, trying to take care of your emotional health, but that's an integral part of also taking care of your physical health. And the nature of most or many chronic illnesses, and, and for sure, rheumatoid arthritis and inflammatory arthritis, is that there are flares and there are ebbs and flows. And so part of, I think, the task of, of grieving, but also learning how to live with chronic illness is to learn how to ride those ebbs and flows and have some sense of self-efficacy after time, that you know how to live through them and that you can manage them. So I think part of the task of grieving and learning how to live with chronic illness is learning how to take care of yourself, learning about your body and what it can and cannot do on any given day. A little bit of forgiveness uh, when things are are difficult for you. Yes, yes. Self-compassion, I think that that's key. And understanding that one day you can wake up and you can do four of the tasks that you have on your to-do list and other days are not like that. But you can feel compassion for yourself and understand that you're doing the very best that you can do for the moment. So for example, I have somebody in my group who is a mother of uh, two teenage uh, sons Mm -hmm. and she was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis and saw how her ability to mother or what she considered mothering needed to change and had to change by necessity. She's on medications that are immunosuppressive, so she's more susceptible to illness. So for example, if one of her sons is ill, 
she can't mother him in the same way. She has to balance taking care of herself and protecting herself, but also learning how to mother him differently if he's ill. And what does mothering look like that's slightly different than it was before? And doing that with compassion and learning how to tolerate that guilt and not to feel guilty. And that's hard. That's very difficult. But it is a process. And I think the core of that is self-compassion. For someone listening who's diagnosed with a chronic illness or is living with grief over that, is there any one big piece of advice that you would offer to them in this time? I don't think that there's one takeaway, but, I, but I'll, I'll share sort of a, a little bit of what that process is. And there's some main points. And I think one of them is to acknowledge and explore and experience a full range of emotions having to do with living with illness. I mean, at the same time, and a big part of that is to learn what needs to be done to manage your illness. Find a good healthcare professional who hears you. Learn about your illness. Make sure the people around you uh, learn about your illness so they understand. And make sure that you have good emotional support and connect with others who understand. I think it's the human condition to need to connect. I would say also, because I develop and run support groups for people with rheumatoid arthritis, so I, I really do believe in the power of group and being in a room with other people who really understand what it's like on a daily basis to live with your illness. That's incredibly powerful, that, that form of support, even if you have other supports outside of that. There's sort of an existential experience of knowing that you're not alone, knowing that your fatigue does not make you lazy and the other people in the room understand and that you're not crazy if you're feeling these feelings, but most of all that you're not alone and that you're going through this with other people who understand and um, the other thing, I, other two points I would make is it's very important to learn how to manage stress because we all live with stress in our daily lives and with the added layer of living with and managing a chronic illness, it's even more important to do so and I think has profound impact on our ability to cope with and also manage illness. Um, I think it's also I think that, you know, as one, as time goes by and one is living with a chronic illness and we're talking about loss, but there's also sort of reinvention and acknowledging and, and identifying what still brings one joy and contentedness. So there's chronic illness and, and what the impact is on life. And also there's still the ability to experience joy and purpose and have a meaningful life and living a life. Certainly. Adina Batterman. Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all of this helpful information. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And now it's time for our Tweak of the Week. Show up for someone who's grieving. That includes being there physically, especially if it's been a while since their initial loss. Don't wait for them to reach out to you. They may not be able to. Make the first move and let them know you care. Whether it's offering to bring them dinner, go for a walk, or just hang out and do nothing. That's all for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you join us next time.